Well, good morning and welcome to worship at Calvary, wherever you are worshiping at, whether you're here in the worship center or over in the chapel, or maybe you're watching somewhere else, somewhere else in the world. And we're just glad that you have tuned in online. And it's just awesome that we can worship together wherever we are at in Jesus' name. Take a moment in our worship experiences where we have the opportunity to partner with God, to invest into his mission. And so if you brought an offering that you'd like to give today, super easy to do so. If you're here in person, you can drop it in one of the offering boxes on the way out of your worship space, or you can always go to calvary.org slash give and give your offering there. And we're so grateful for the incredible generosity of this congregation and your partnership in mission. So we are at the final week of a series called True North. And a number of weeks ago, we started out by talking about how there is actually a big difference between magnetic north and true north. In fact, if you follow an everyday compass that's pointed to magnetic north and you follow it straight in a line, you will be hundreds of miles away from the North Pole when you get to its end. There's a big difference between magnetic north and true north. And in much the same way in our world and in our lives, there's a magnetic pole that is competing with us. It's a gravitational pole that tries to pull us away from God's true north. We have things in our lives like peer pressure, or this desire to go after the American dream, or maybe just to keep up with your neighbors. And all of these influences can slowly, or maybe quickly, pull us away from God's true north. And the result of that is oftentimes we end up very far away from where we intended to be. You know, one day we might suddenly come to our senses and realize that we're somewhere in life that we never dreamed of, that we never imagined. And sometimes that happens by just getting a little bit off course. So what we've been doing in the series is looking at some statements that Jesus made in the Gospel of John. In fact, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says seven different times, I am. And each one of these statements gives us a picture of who Jesus is, what he came to do, and also how he's able to put us back on course so that we can again live our lives in God's true north. So we started a number of weeks ago by talking about Jesus's statement, I am the resurrection and the life. That Jesus is able in his resurrection power to bring dead things back to life. He's able to do that with physical lives, but he's also able to do that with dreams that God plants in our heart. He's able to do that with other parts of our life that maybe seem dead, but with his resurrection power, he's able to bring them back to life. Then we talked about how Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And the reality is every one of us chooses to be led by something or someone. Sometimes we try to lead ourselves. It doesn't go well. Sometimes we choose someone else in the world to try to lead us. We try to follow after them. But Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. It means he protects his sheep. He's present with us, whether we're in the valley or we're on a mountaintop. Well, then Jesus also says, I am the light of the world. 
We live in a dark, dark world. But Jesus says, I come to bring light into the darkness. Now his light sometimes is uncomfortable. It points out the sin in our own lives, but the the light also shows us our need for a savior and his light lights our path. And then last week we talked about how Jesus said, I am the true vine. Who or what we decide to be connected to dictates and determines what kind of fruit we will produce in our lives. And when we're connected to Jesus, who is the true vine, it's then that we're able to bear good fruit. Well, now in our final week of this series, I wanna look at a very bold and audacious and powerful statement that Jesus makes about himself. And I think what he says is as good of news for those of us who maybe are a little bit off of true north, as it is for those who might be walking closely with Jesus today. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn with me to John chapter 14, and we're gonna start with verse one. John 14, starting with verse one. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now this is what Jesus has to say about himself. Now, he said many controversial and startling things about himself throughout the Gospels. He said things like, pray for your enemies. I mean, no one had ever considered doing such a thing. He said, turn the other cheek. He said, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. But perhaps this is the most controversial statement that Jesus ever made. In verse six, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, while some people get great comfort out of these words, there are others who are hugely offended by his words because it sounds so narrow. It sounds exclusive, it sounds small-minded even. But what I want you to hear this morning is that these words of Jesus are incredibly good news no matter where you're at. And I believe that God has brought you here for a reason. And that whatever your story is, I believe that God will reveal to you 
that he is the way and the truth and the life. Now, do you remember a time when all you wanted was to be home? You know, maybe you were on a trip, maybe you were at summer camp, maybe you were on a business trip, and you just thought to yourself, I would give anything to be home right now. Now, I love to travel, especially to other countries. I love to experience new cultures. But no matter where I go, no matter how great the trip is, there's always a moment, usually towards the end of the trip, when I'm thinking I would give anything right now to be back home, to sleep in my own bed, to have all the things that I'm familiar with. You know, I think there's a lot of truth to the statement, there's no place like home. Now, have you ever felt that way before? You know, I think deep down, we have that similar feeling and that similar drive in our lives as we go through everything we experience day by day. We know that we were created for something more than we see and more than we experience. And we look around and we know instinctively this world is not the way it should be. There are way too many things that are broken and dark and painful. And so we know that there's something out of place. We long for something more. Now, oftentimes when we get this feeling, we think, well, if I can just get more of this or that, then somehow I'll, I'll feel fulfilled or satisfied or completed. You know, we might accumulate a sum of money, but we think, you know, if we could just get more money, well, then things will feel better. Maybe it's, you know, we look at our house and think someday when I have a bigger house, then I will be fulfilled. Maybe it's fame, maybe it's status, maybe it's a higher position in your field. If I could just get a little bit more, well then, I'll finally feel fulfilled. But you know, isn't it crazy to think that more of something that doesn't fulfill us now will somehow fulfill us later? You see, we were created for something completely different and better. This world is not our home. No, you have a better home, and it's called heaven. It's called eternity. And Jesus says today that he has gone there to prepare a place for you. And unless you come to terms with that truth, you're gonna find yourself lost and searching and never feeling like you truly belong or like you are truly fulfilled. Because you see, this truth that Jesus is teaching us today is a core element of finding true north in our lives. I think C.S. Lewis put it very well in one of his books. He said, if I find myself or if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You see, you and I were created for eternity, for a different place and reality than we currently experience. We were created for a home called heaven. And this is where Jesus focuses in 
in John chapter 14. Now, if you were here last week, when we looked at John 15, we talked a little bit about the context of what Jesus is saying, what happened before and after these words. In John 13, Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. It's now called the Last Supper. He washed their feet. He showed them what it looked like to serve others, and they shared communion together. And then just a little bit later in John 18, they're praying in the Garden of Gethsemane and it's where Jesus is betrayed and he's arrested before his death. And now in between those two pivotal events in John 14 to 17, we have what's often called Jesus's final discourse or his final address. It's his final words and teachings and encouragement to his disciples and those last words of course, are vitally important. It's what's most on Jesus' heart before he's crucified. So he begins in verse one by saying, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now think for a moment how amazing it is that this is what Jesus says moments before his own arrest and betrayal and death. Now the disciples, like they are so often, are full of fear and anxiety and worry. I mean, they believed all along that Jesus would somehow rise up and overthrow the Roman Empire, that somehow Jesus would show his power and his might, he would summon an army, and he would overthrow them all. But it's dawning on them that that's not gonna happen. But you know, in this moment, It would make a lot more sense for the disciples to be comforting Jesus. Jesus is about to die. And yet Jesus is the one comforting them. And it shows us again his heart and his character, how much he cares for his followers. But you know, there's a lot for our hearts to be troubled about today, isn't there? There's a lot of things at every level of society that can trouble us and worry us and bring fear to us. There's so much conflict and uncertainty. There's division everywhere. The stock market is plunging. It seems like every day there's another mass shooting. And yet Jesus gives us a command. He gives a command to his disciples and he gives a command to us. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And we might say, well, it's easy for you to say that, Jesus. But just like he so often does, his command is followed by a promise. Look at verse two. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. He's promising where he's going and what his mission is. And then he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. See, this is the reason that our hearts do not need to be troubled or unsettled or empty. He's not talking about some real estate development that God is putting together, a gated community outside of Jerusalem. No, he's talking again about our heavenly home. It's the home that you and I were created to live in 
This is a real physical place. It's not some abstract reality. You know, like when we talk about, oh, that sounds so heavenly. No, this is an actual place. It's our eternal home. And he says there are plenty of rooms for every one of us and for every person who chooses to enter his kingdom. You see, God is actively building our heavenly home and he wants more people to take up residence in it. Now, Jesus also makes it clear that this is his eternal home as well. He's telling us, I'm preparing a place for you where you will be connected to me for all time. You will be present with me every moment of the day, just like God intended in the first place. Back in Genesis, when God would walk in the garden to be near his precious creation. That's the way that God intended the world to work. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be overcome with feelings of despair or sorrow or discontent because Jesus says, I am promising an incredible reality that will last for eternity. And there is a room with your name on it. He says, I've got it ready just for you. Have you ever visited a palace or a mansion before? Years ago, we were traveling out in California and generally halfway between San Francisco and Los Angeles, there's a place called the Hearst Castle. Perhaps you've seen pictures or visited it before. It's this incredible home, 90,000 square feet, 38 bedrooms, 40 bathrooms, all sorts of Hollywood stars hung out there in the 20s and the 30s. And when we went to see it, we had to pick from a catalog of tours because it's such an expansive space, you can only see a fraction of the square footage. Now, no matter how amazing and extravagant the mansion or the palace you visited is, it pales in comparison to the home that God is preparing for you. Heaven is your home and it's your hope. And it's there that there will be no more tears or pain or death. And Jesus says then, you know the way to get there. But Thomas, Thomas speaks up and he says, Jesus, we have no idea what you're talking about. We don't know where you're going. We don't know how to get there. We don't have a map. We don't have an address. I don't know what to put into Google Maps to try to figure it out. Now, I think Thomas gets a bad rap, right? Throughout history, he's been called Doubting Thomas. Now, imagine if your biggest mistake or your biggest sin was attached to your name for all of history. It would be devastating, right? But I think Thomas is simply willing to speak what everyone else is thinking. I think Thomas is actually standing in for you and for me. I mean, how in the world can we know how to get there? I mean, Jesus talks in parables and metaphors and riddles. How can we know? And I love how the Bible doesn't sugarcoat things. He, in, 
the humanity and the doubts and the messiness of Thomas and the other disciples are included in the story. It shows us again that God chooses to work through doubters and sinners and the unqualified. And it's to Thomas's question, but really all of us to the questions we have, Jesus responds with his bold statement. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying, Thomas, you do know the way because the way is standing right in front of you. The way isn't a path or a formula or a map or a road. The way is a person and that person's name is Jesus. So first, Jesus says that he is the way. He's saying, I am the way back to God. I'm the way to get back home. I'm the way to get where you were created to be in the first place. Your heart desires something more, something better, something greater. It longs for home, and I'm the way to get back home. You see, Jesus didn't come with a message of behavior modification. Just get your act together. Shape up or ship out. No, Jesus came for something more. He came to transform our hearts and our lives. I think oftentimes we like to think of sin on a scale. You know, there's like moderate sins, there's kind of light sins, there's some really bad sins, and we like to put ourselves maybe in the middle or a little bit lower. But you know, Jesus didn't say sin makes you bad. No, he actually said sin makes you dead. And that's why it's such good news, no matter who we are, what Jesus has done, that no matter what sins we have committed, they make us dead. But Jesus came to make us alive. And it's also why every single person who's in Christ has an incredible testimony. If you're at all like me where you were raised in the church and you've kind of known Jesus your whole life, there's certain times when I wish I had a more compelling testimony. You know, like I wish I had this story that I was getting chased by the police on a motorcycle and then I was arrested and I fell on my knees in my jail cell and I came to Christ and, you know, I could get up and share this epic story. But every one of us who are in Christ has an incredible testimony because we were once dead But now, in Jesus, we are alive. Dead is dead. There's no levels or categories when it comes to dead. Jesus makes dead things come back to life. Jesus came to make you alive in him, and he sacrificed his life to make this possible. Now, God is perfect and holy and righteous And because he's holy and perfect, he can't have anything to do with sin. And that's why it's so important for you to understand that Jesus didn't come to just die for your sins. Jesus came to be your sin so that you could be made righteous and clean and holy. The Bible says all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory 
of God. And note the word all, that means every single one of us. And it also means we have a void in our life that nothing else can fill. Not more money, not more status, not more power, no relationship on earth. There's a great divide between us and God, a great chasm that our sin has created. And so God chose to come to us in the person of Jesus Christ to bridge the gap and to be the way back to him. And we can receive this gift by simply putting our faith and our trust in him. Now, of course, we're still gonna mess up along the way. We're gonna get off of true north every so often. Yet Jesus says, come back to me, come back home. I'm the way. It's kind of like your car's GPS. Have you ever decided to argue with it a little bit and go your own way? There's sometimes I think, you know, Siri, you don't understand how I know these shortcuts, so I'm gonna do my own thing. And no matter how much I get off course, the GPS still says rerouting and points back home. Jesus says, I am the way. Come back home. Follow me. Now, Jesus also says he's the truth. Now, what in the world does he mean when he says he's the truth? One of my favorite NBA players is Paul Pierce, whose nickname is the truth. Is Jesus just giving himself a compelling nickname? Well, no, Jesus is telling us that he is the clearest picture of who God is. He's the best visual aid we have so that we can know who God is. He's the truth of who God is. Now, this is so important to know because how we view God really dictates how we view ourselves and how we view our lives. And too often we have messed up visions of who God is, that he's an angry judge, or he's somehow a policeman out waiting for us to screw up. And it causes us to live with insecurity and fear and shame and guilt. But on the other hand, sometimes we have way too casual of a view of God, like God's just our buddy, anything goes. Well, story after story about Jesus gives us the best picture of who God really is. Remember the time that there's a woman caught in adultery and the religious authorities bring her to Jesus because they want to trap him. The law says that she should be stoned to death. And what does Jesus say? He says, he who is without sin should cast the first stone. And then he tells her that he doesn't condemn her. You see, this is a picture of God who is slow to anger and he's abounding in love and mercy. In Luke chapter seven, there's another story of a woman, a widow who's about to bury her son. Now a son for a widow is kind of a retirement policy. It was the way that she would be able to survive. So this was a devastating moment. But it says Jesus sees her From a distance, she doesn't even have to say a word. And Jesus comes up to her, tells her not to cry, and then tells the son to get up and walk. And it shows us again that God is one who sees us, and he cares about our struggles, and he's willing to take action. He'll never leave you or forsake you. You see, Jesus is the living truth of who God is. Now, finally, he says, I am the life. 
which is another shocking thing to say about yourself. But Jesus is simply pointing out what he came to do. He's the source of true and real life. He's saying, without me, you are dead. You can accumulate more stuff. You can get a bigger house. You can take great vacations. But ultimately, you're going to feel like you were created for something more. Home is when you're with me. Life truly begins when we are connected. Jesus is saying, I'm the life you've always dreamed of. It doesn't look like the magazines. I mean, he's just a few hours away from hanging bloody on a cross. And he's not just talking about our physical life. We spend so much time focused on the temporary. But Jesus is saying, I'm the Lord of the eternal. It might look like death is gonna win at this moment, but three days from now, I'm gonna rise again. He's saying, I'm the author and the giver of life, and I give abundant life. Really, there is no life apart from me. Everything else on earth is just a cheap copy that will not last. You see, church, into the stress and the heartbreak and the hopelessness and the discontent that we feel on a day-to-day basis, Jesus' words for you and for me are do not let your hearts be troubled. Jesus is saying, I am the way back home. I am the truth of who God is, and I am the source of the life you've always dreamed of. Now, sometimes people will struggle with this and wonder, can Jesus actually do these things that he claims to do? Sometimes people say, you know, I need proof. And my response, is to know for sure you need to be willing to take a risk and trust him with your life. Now, we do this in many ways throughout our life. You know, for instance, if you get married, you stand in front of your family and friends and you make promises to each other, but how do you know that it's gonna last? How do you know that you're gonna keep these vows? Is there a way to prove it? Well, there's no way to prove your love and your promises in that moment. You need to live into it. You need to step out in trust. You need to take a risk and say yes. Now, the same thing is true if you're gonna fly on an airplane, right? We trust that the plane is gonna get us to our destination safely. Again, there's no way to prove that it's not gonna crash on the way. And so we just have to get in and trust and have faith. Again, it means taking a risk and saying yes. And so today, Jesus is saying to you, I am the way and the truth and the life. Put your faith in me and I will point you to true north. 
So my question for you as we finish up this series is will you trust him? Maybe for the first time, maybe for the millionth time, will you say yes to him today? Because today is a perfect opportunity to take another step of faith. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you are with us every step of the way as we navigate our way through this world. And God, you know all too well all the magnetic poles around us that try to get us off of your true north. God, remind us again and again the truth of who you are and who Jesus is. God, help us to step up in faith and to trust you more. Help us to say yes to you each and every day and help us to stay focused on your true north through your grace, through your forgiveness, through the new life that only you can give. God, we thank and praise you for who you are. And we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. And let's all say together,